Well, as I said, I, I'm really glad you're with us this morning because we are starting today a new fall sermon series, and our small groups will be following along each week with study questions in our small groups. So alpha or small group, you can't lose, folks. It's going to be good. And our series is called God Has a Name, and it's inspired by a book by one of my favorite authors, John Mark Comer. Uh, it's titled The Same, God Has a Name. It's a book that Angel and I read earlier this year, and we were so inspired by it. We thought it was just for us and then felt it was for our church. But in, in light of all that we've been going through in, in 2020, it, all, all the figuring out how to just do life right now, I, I thought it'd be important for us to kind of lift our gaze a little bit and, and consider uh, you know, some of the important questions. And, and, and there really are not many questions in life where the answer can change everything. But the questions that we're going to be asking in this series is, who is God and what is he like? And those two questions can be game changers for us. And everyone, at least at some point in their lives, wonders about God. I love to read. Uh, I always have a, a novel on the go. And, and there's a character in a John Sanford novel that I like. He's, uh, he's like this long-haired hippie dude. <laughs> he's a detective in Minnesota, and uh, he's always coming onto a crime scene wearing his favorite band's T-shirts, you know, so like, you know, he'll have an arcade fire or a uh, Radiohead T-shirt on. It's really good. And, and, and the books don't always have a believable plot line. I, I, I have, to, you have to sort of give them a bit of a nod, but what I like about Virgil and the stories are two things. One, the guy's the kind of guy, Virgil Flowers is the kind of guy that you'd like to be his friend. He's just that nice. And then second, just about every night when he lays his head down after a, a day of policing and he lays his head down on the pillow, he wonders about God. You know, what, what's God like? What, what, what would God maybe be thinking or, or feeling about what went on that day in his life? Now, Here's the thing when we start talking about God. When we mention God, people have all kinds of different ideas. You know, depending on where someone grew up, what their background is, what their religious background was, their language, uh, if they have Christian experience, uh, went to church, it, it means our ideas can be all over the map when it comes to, to thinking about God. And, and this morning, when it comes to, to talking about God, let's just for a moment here, for this morning, anyway, assume that there is a God. For me, that's become obvious. Uh, I, I've been on a journey a long time, but that's kind of a, a, a fact for me. And it's not obvious to everyone, and I, I get that. And, and we're not going to tackle the existence of God in this series, but, but I want to say, if you have questions about the existence of God, Alpha might be a good place to start. Or I, I would encourage you that we've got great resources we can point you to. Please reach out. There's smarter people out there than I am who have really thought long and hard about these deep questions. I, I'd love to direct you to those resources. But I think a far more interesting question is, what is God like? You know, is God a he or a she or a they or an it? Is, is God a, a person or, or some kind of energy? As in, may the force be with you, a, a nod to a movie other than, you know, Lord of the Rings. 
Is God close or, or is he far away? Is, is God interested or is he indifferent? Is God really, really strict or is he just kind of like free and easy? A.W. Tozer, he was a famous uh, pastor of the last century and author. He actually pastored in Canada for a short while but became an internationally renowned writer. He suggests that how we answer this question will define us. Tozer made this claim. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, if it's true, if that's true, why would it be true? (laughs) Why does it matter so much what we think about God? Well, Scripture says, and it actually warns us on many pages, that (laughs) we will become like we, what we worship. Tozer went on to write, he says, we, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. If, if we were able to extract from a person a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. In, in other words, What you think about God will shape the destiny of your life. To to quote John Mark Homer, he says, if you think God as homophobic, racist, and mad at the world, this distorted vision of reality will shape you into a religious bigot who is, wait for it, homophobic, racist, and mad at the world. Or, Or if you think of God as a progressive, you know, a, a politically, politically correct, tolerant, but, but toler- intolerant only of intolerance. That'll shape how you live. You know, you know think, of, think of pastors. Pastors who emphasize that the wrath of God are, are often not very nice. And, and pastors who, who emphasize the, the freedom are often not very holy, what we believe about God, what we think about God matters to who we are and how we will live our lives. Now, here's the problem. We often end up with a God who looks an awful lot like us. Um, Genesis 1 tells us that God made man, God made humankind in his own image. And, and part of our broken human condition is that we turn around and make God in our own image. Um, Scott McKnight, the great author and, and, and scholar, he's a uh, New Testament professor in Chicago. For, for years, he taught a class on, on Jesus, and he'd start every school term with two surveys. The first set of questions were about the student, what they dislike, like, believe, and so on. And, and the second set of questions were the same, but the, this time they were about Jesus. And Scott McKnight's observation was this. of the time, the answers were exactly the same. How do you know you've created God in your own image? Well, he likes all the things you like. He he hates all the things you hate. He votes the way you'd vote. He's whatever you're passionate about, God is too. If you're open and freewheeling with your life or or your sexuality, then so is God. And above all, as as John Mark Comer says, he's, he's tame. <laughs> he's tame. He's, as, as he says, you never get mad at him or blown away by him or scared of him because he's controllable. You can get him in a box. He goes on to say, he says, 
the most ancient primal temptation, going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, is to decide for ourselves what God is like and whether we should live into his vision of human flourishing or come up with our own. And so we will all be like God, knowing good and evil. And what he's saying really is, there's a significant incentive for each of us to define God our own way so we get the God that we want, really so that we can be in charge. Um, many of you know my sons, Caleb and, and Noah. They're, uh, they're both back in school. Caleb is studying to be a pastor. So he's going to be like you know, his dad. He's following in my footsteps. And Noah is studying business. Uh, and he's following in his mother's footsteps. It's, it's kind of funny. I'm glad they're both kind of following in my footsteps in, in terms of being large men. Because, you know, my, well, she's kind of tiny. So I'm glad they kind of measure up. Anyway. You should see family photos. Uh, interesting, when, when Caleb is asked what he's studying, and when he answers theology, it's interesting to see the responses of people. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, whoa, seriously? Dude, that's, that's heavy, right? Somehow they, they think theology is really, really serious. There's drama to it. And, and when we hear the word theologian, we might picture some older intellectual, you know, probably a, a guy, an older man with a, maybe a pipe in his mouth, an intense academic sitting behind, behind a desk piled thick with books. And, and there are certainly theologians who kind of fit that description, busily teaching at seminaries, and they're, they're writing their books. But, but here's the thing. I, I don't want to freak you out here in this moment, but we are all theologians, all of us are. Whether we're aware of it or not, we're, we're all theologians. We all have ideas about what God is, what he expects of us, and, and what our place in the world is. And our theology will shape who we are and how we'll live. Someone's theology might cause them to do unspeakable acts of violence towards their fellow man. And we see that time and time again in the news. Someone's beliefs about God might cause them to carry around a placard that says, God hates, fill in the blank. So we're all theologians. The, the question is, really, the, the question we want to tackle here is, are all our thoughts about God true? I, I hate to offend, but, but just because we thought it, just because we believe it, doesn't make it true. And, and so I love this about Scripture, right from Moses to Matthew, the Bible just assumes we, that we have no idea what God is like. In, in fact, the basic assumption seems to be that, that we believe what we believe about God is more likely to be off base. And, and even if we're religious, even if we're Christian, we, we don't get a lot off the hook here. Jesus spent a lot of his time correcting religious people and their wrong beliefs about God. Jesus would, would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And, and, and then he would tell parables. He'd say things like, the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd go on to finish it with a story that would turn upside down the, some of their common beliefs about God. So, so let me propose to you, as both scripture and, and Jesus himself would say, we might not have an entirely accurate view of God. 
Some of our, our views of God might be wrong. Some of our views of God might be terribly wrong. But here's the thing. We can learn. And to learn, we need to go to the source. And all this leads us to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. For those of you who are not too familiar with the Bible, the Bible is, for the most part, it's the story of God and our interaction with God, but mostly it's his story. And every once in a while, we hit this kind of peak moment in the story where, you know, what you might call revelation. There's this big reveal, and you get this brand new, eye-opening vision of God. And we're going to look at one of these moments that takes place on a mountaintop with Moses. If you read about Moses in the book of Exodus, he's um, kind of a big deal. He's uh, led by God to go to Egypt and and to free his people, to to lead them out of slavery in Egypt and into a new land. And Moses' relationship with God, you, you read these stories, you read his journey, and he's got this fascinating relationship with God. Uh, of course, there's the fam- famous burning bush encounter, the bush that doesn't burn out, and, and God speaks to him from the bush. But Exodus 33 says that God would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks to a friend or to a neighbor. And then in the rest of Exodus 33, there's this conversation between Moses and God, and Moses is, a- is asking God not to leave the people of Israel, that he'd go with them on their journey. And, and at one point, Moses kind of gets up his nerve and he boldly asks God, now show me your glory. Now, it's an odd request guaranteed that if you go from here and you ask your friend or neighbor or even your spouse, show me your glory, their odd meter is gonna go off big time. So don't do it. But what Moses here is really asking is to see God for who he really is, to see God in person. For, for, for no, Moses, knowing about God wasn't enough. Knowing some facts about God wasn't enough. He wants to experience God. And in verse 19, God graciously responds to Moses' request. It says, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. It's a great passage Next morning, Moses gets up early and he hikes up to the top of Mount Sinai. Um, some of you know, you'd know that years ago, uh, I got to go to Egypt and, and actually visit this region of Mount Sinai. And up there, it's got to be in, in my top 10 experiences in life. I remember my guide woke me up in my hotel at, at midnight and uh, we traveled to the base of, of Mount Sinai. Uh, Mount Sinai, and we hopped on camels, and we took, part of the journey was taking a a camel ride in the dark, pitch dark, up the mountain, and then we walked the last third of the way up to be there in time to watch the sunrise. Uh, It turns out I watched it with a crowd of enthusiastic German tourists, but it's uh, the most glorious setting, this, this mountaintop, and to be there for sunrise, it was awesome. But Exodus 34 records this encounter, and, and, and more stunning than the view comes one of the most stunning paragraphs in the entire Bible. We read, so Moses went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, 
as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What a, what a passage. This is uh, one of those defining moments that changes everything. It's uh, one of the few places in Scripture where God describes himself. Uh, John Mark Homer says this is like his self-disclosure statement where he essentially says this is what I'm like. And, and as I've said before, it, it's likely the most quoted Bible verse or passage by the Bible. I've, I've been reading through the Bible again this year and, and, and just a, a few chapters a day uh, and, and I keep on coming across how often this passage and its themes are found all throughout the Bible, quoted directly many, many times, alluded to hundreds of times. As John Mark Homer puts it, this is ground zero for a theology of God. And, and what's remarkable about God's description of himself is just how different it is from what we might expect. I, I grew up as a pastor's kid going, going to Sunday school, and I remember my Sunday school teachers kind of leading us through a bit of a catechism, a, a lesson about God, and he, they'd lay out these different qualities of God, and they kind of boiled them down to three. Some of you will remember learning this yourself if you've got a history like mine. Three things. God is omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful. God is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. And God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere at once. I, I knew some of you knew that. And, and uh, I'm still thinking those were really big words for a little Sunday school kid like me to learn, but somehow I, I remembered them. And all of them are true. And, and, and I believe them. But here's the thing. When, when God describes himself in verse 6 and 7 of, of Exodus 34, he doesn't start with how powerful he is or how he knows everything or how he's everywhere all at once and always. These are all true, but apparently to God, they're not the most important thing. When God describes himself, he starts with a name. He re repeats his name in case we don't get it the first time. By the way, we're studying the name of God this fall, not the names of God as some have thought we might be doing. But then God goes on to describe his character, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and on and on. It actually makes sense. Our staff team here at Hillside are kind of part of the same social bubble. And uh, so we had the staff over at our home this week for a barbecue. And it was so much fun. Somehow just being together again, laughter, all that stuff, it came out big time. But some questions got asked about how Angel and I met and how we fell in love and got married and all that kind of thing. And I'm not going to go into that story but someone thought that our love story was maybe even better than a Hallmark film. 
which is saying something because Hallmark films are like the high watermark of film, right? So good. Uh, my wife says I speak with sarcasm sometimes. I don't know what she's getting at. But it, it's funny. It's funny. Um, Angel and I do have a great love story. I think we, we are on the inside of it, so it's a little bit personal. But uh, when someone who doesn't know Angel, when, she, when they ask me about her, you know, I, I can t- describe her. She's beautiful. She's got jet black hair and beautiful chestnut brown eyes. She's vertically smaller, although she's apparently tall in her family. We'll go along with that story. She grew up in, in Sri Lanka. So I can rhyme off all the, the physical attributes. I can tell you about her background. But in the end, a person does not want to hear stats about her. They, they want to know what she's like, her, her qualities, her personality. What's her, what's, what's her passion? What, what made you fall in love? What makes her her? And so when we're thinking about God, talking about a bunch of stuff about God that is true, that doesn't help us to get to know God. It, it's true, but it's not the kind of thing that makes him him. And, and so this is what makes this passage in Exodus so very good. It's God giving us his insight into what makes God, God, what he's really like. And folks, it turns out God is really so much better than anyone we could have ever imagined. By the way, since this description of God is is both so good and so kind of core to the whole story of God, I have a, a challenge for us. This is this is going to be hard for some of you, but I'm going, to, I'm going to throw it out there. Why don't we memorize these two verses? I, I think most of us could do it this week, but I'm going to suggest this is going to be an eight- or nine-week series. And so uh, by the end of that, I, I would hope that we'd have Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, down pat in our brains. These are, these are so important, and it's going to be so good for us to, to dig into these verses and unpack what they mean. And just to give you a, a bit of a roadmap where we're going with this series, we'll, we'll look at the original Hebrew words and, and look at what they mean for us. We'll go on to look at some other stories in Scripture that highlight these characteristics of God. And, and then, of course, we're going to fast forward to Jesus. Because we believe that the God who Moses met on Mount Sinai actually became flesh and blood and came and lived among us, and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we see more clearly than ever before what God is really like. And then finally, us. You know, what does God, what, it, what, what does who God is mean for who we are? How might that reform and, and reshape our lives? You see, I, I suspect many of us ache for a a more real and a deeper relationship with God, and yet we feel distant and disconnected from him. As if he's more of an idea we believe in our head than an actual person that we relate to. But God has a name, Yahweh. This one simple idea has the potential to radically alter how you relate to God, and we're gonna get into that this fall. How does all that sound? Are you with me? Awesome. A couple final thoughts. Important uh, just to remember as we study God that there's a mystery to God that we will never quite figure out. 
It's, it's not like we, after walking through this series, will think, hey, I've got God kind of nailed down now. I, I, I remember these, these two verses, and that means I know it all. I like how, again, John Mark Comer puts it. He says, God can be mysterious and vague and elusive and hard to catch at times. At the top of Mount Sinai was a cloud, not an engineering schematic. And everybody was invited up the mountain, but only Moses had the courage to step into the cloud. I guess my challenge for us this morning is that we'd be like Moses. That we'd be willing to pray this kind of audacious prayer. God, show me your glory. Show me what you're really like. I, I, as Naomi shared earlier, I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I, I want to actually learn about who you really are. And, and also, it's being willing to, to step into the cloud. Our, our, I challenge us to, to, to go up the mountain, to, to take this journey and, and step into the unknown. And wherever it might lead, it might alter the very way we live. My hunch is, is that even if we get just a glimpse, a hint of who God really, really is, I'm going to suggest it's going to be worth it. It's going to be so good. I, I, I sensed as I prepared for this series that this was going to be a defining moment for many of us. This, this whole series is going to alter and, and anchor us in a new uh, vision of who our God is. And so I invite you to, to join me on that journey. Why don't we pray? God, we thank you that uh, you just kind of assume that we won't figure this out, that we're going to somehow get it wrong, and so you do this amazing thing. God, you're so gracious. You do this great reveal. You, you, you pull back the curtain, and you show us what you're really like. You show us your heart, your, your quality. And so, God, with Moses, we would pray this prayer, show us your glory. Help us to see. Father, I pray that whatever vision we might have that needs to be cleared up or uh, a vision that needs to be discarded, a belief or an idea, I pray you'd help us discover the real you and may it transform who we are. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.